try as I may, I could never explain what I hear when you don't say everyone, and welcome to Intersections Matches Talk Radio, a show for people who resonate with Mahatma Gandhi's quote, learn like you're going to live forever, live like you're going to die tomorrow. Today, we're continuing our multi-industry series, Love in the Time of COVID. This is Jasmina, your host and the founder of Intersections Match, a global personalized matchmaking and coaching company for successful and commitment-minded singles. To understate the obvious, COVID has dramatically transformed reality for practically everyone on the planet. So before introducing our fascinating guest, I want to take a moment of silence for lives lost to COVID-19. I also want to dedicate this series to the heroes on the front lines in the medical community at large, many of whom continue to serve us all despite risk to themselves and their families. With no further ado, I'm very excited to welcome to today's show fellow relationship expert and matchmaker, Denise Levy. A member of the National Association of Social Workers, Denise currently serves on the board of directors for national nonprofit mental health consumer advocacy organization, NAMI, a trained Gottman leader who has also completed conflict management for core healthy marriage and relationship skills via the National Resource for Healthy Marriage and Families, holds certification as a cognitive behavioral practitioner and is trained in meditation for stress and anxiety reduction, Denise loves teaching the seven principles for making marriage work programs. Owner of Matchmaker Gulf Coast in Destin, Florida, and on-staff life coach for the Bindu Institute, Denise enjoyed hosting informational video series, All Things Dating and Relationships, teaching some of the leading experts in the fields of date coaching and matchmaking. Welcome, Denise. Your bio jogged my memory. I recall presenting three tips to connect with a man on a first date on your series. So how fun that I get the chance to interview you this time. I given know, May I is, it. Isn't that great? Um, given it, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, today's topic, self-care in the age of COVID-19, mindfulness and meditation, seems especially timely. And given your extensive training in conflict management and with the Gottman Institute, we'll also delve into helping our listeners navigate healthy conflict relationships, healthy conflict management with their relationships in the COVID-19 environment. So my first question to you these days is, how are you and your loved ones, you know, doing during this pandemic? You know, we're actually thriving during this time. Um, it's my husband and myself in the house at this point, and... We're being very cautious because I do have a compromised immune system, but that being said, you know, we're doing quite well. It's been very nice, you know, just having the two of us here, and it's just easy. That's really good to hear that, and this is um, this is great that we are talking because I know that not everyone is thriving to that extent, so this is really exciting um, that you'll be sharing some tips for others. 
to, you know, um, to help them thrive in this environment as well. So as a, as a former practicing lawyer, I oftentimes like to start by making sure there's a meeting of the minds by first defining some main terms. So what do you mean by self-care, Denise? You know, self-care to me is so very important. And what I mean by it is making the time in your life for yourself, doing things that are selfish, if you will, because it's sort of like the uh, saying that you hear on the airplanes. If you don't take care of yourself first, then you're not going to be any good to anyone else. So it's like reaching for that oxygen mask. You have to take care of yourself first. So self-care to me is so very important in maintaining just a very normal and easy lifestyle. I love that oxygen mask analogy. And tell me, how does mindfulness, how does mindfulness fit into self-care? And, and what do you mean by mindfulness? I know that can be a buzzword these days. So what do you mean really by can. mindfulness and how does that, how, how does that fit into self-care? I think the easiest way to define mindfulness is really the ability to be present. It is the ability okay. to be in that present moment and, you know, not really letting the mind wander too much into the past or into the future, but being in that moment and being able to appreciate that moment and enjoy it for what it is. What about, you know, and I understand that you have an upcoming master class with respect to mindfulness and self-care. Would you like to tell us about that? Sure, sure. For Mental Health Awareness Month, uh, Monday through Friday, every day at noon central, 1 Eastern, we are going to be together on uh, the Zoom platform. And basically, it's just an introduction to the mindfulness and meditation. And we're going to be doing some journal work, listening to uh, some of the Calm app, things of that nature. And it's more or less exposure for people so that if it's something that has piqued their interest before but they haven't followed through, it's a great opportunity. And so we'll be doing it every single day, Monday through Friday. And the good thing about this, too, is I'm doing it not only through for my business, but a portion of the proceeds are actually going to be donated to our local NAMI affiliates here in Northwest Florida and the Big Bend. Wonderful. And you mentioned two things that I think are really, really important in terms of really tools for um, for achieving mindfulness and um you know, and achieving, you know, and, and being a part of one's self-care. And in terms of that, there, there are two that I, I feel are really important tools. One is a journal work and one, um, for some people is meditation. So let's start with journal work and tell us, tell us what is journal work and how, how does it help somebody with respect to mindfulness and wellness? Tell us about that. Well, obviously, journal work has to do with writing down your thoughts, and to Mm -hmm. me, it is such a great exercise because when you actually take the time to write something down versus just think about it, it almost makes it happen. It brings a certain amount of action towards it, and so when you're writing about something, you know, you're you're taking the next step. It's a process. 
Um, as far as the journal work that we're going to be doing in the May Masterclass, basically there's three things that I'm going to be asking people to journal about each time that we meet. And that is, number one, what feelings would you like to invite into your day? Uh, number two, what are you grateful for today? And number three, what are you letting go of today? And to me, those three questions kind of set your intentions for the day. And I think it's a great journaling exercise because when you're setting your intentions that way, you're almost giving yourself permission to live your life that way. What about, and do, would you recommend people do that in the morning then when you say set the intention for the day? Absolutely. You know, it really, it's a personal yeah. preference as far as their timing is concerned. Yeah. I mean, you, mm -hmm. you know me, I've known you for a long time, Justina. I'm not quite a morning person, but this might be something <laughs> people want to do in the morning, you know. Um, other people prefer to do it in the evening, thinking about the day ahead of them tomorrow. You know, so it's really, it's a personal thing, whatever you're comfortable with. Absolutely. And, and the most important thing is, is that you do that and you set aside that time, I guess, in terms of going back to self-care, that you actually set aside that time and, and do that journal work. Tell us about meditation and, and how does that help for stress and anxiety reduction? I think, you know, it's working with the mindfulness and meditation together that's truly helped me and my personal life. And, you know, mm -hmm. everyone thinks of meditation as you've got to sit a certain way and, you know, the little Indian style with their fingers touching. And, you know, mm -hmm. to me, the meditation mm -hmm. aspect of it is more about just being comfortable with yourself. It doesn't matter where you do it as long as you're in a comfortable environment. It doesn't necessarily, to me, matter how you're sitting or if you're listening to a guided meditation or a non-guided it really is just a commitment to yourself that you're going to allow yourself to be in the present moment and use it as a tool to de-stress and to really calm yourself, calm your inner thinking. Calm your inner thinking. And interesting, do you, um, speaking of calm, um, what do you foresee as some of the greatest, or what do you see and what do you foresee as some of the greatest mental health challenges posed by COVID-19? So these days in particular, what, what is NAMI? What are you seeing in terms of that? You know, as far as the mental health world is concerned, um, you know, I know a lot of counselors and therapists are moving into some of the online platforms and offering services. Uh, through web chats, uh, telephone services, and I think that that's wonderful, um, you know, mm -hmm. that so many therapists are, are really taking the time to learn how to do this and to accommodate their patients during this time. Um, as far as, you know, people seeking help, there's so many agencies out there these days that are, are on the same page as well. You know, one of the projects that I have been working on in the past month for our local NAMI affiliate is getting all of our support group and running online. And that has been a challenge. You know, I have been a part of a fantastic team and together what we have accomplished for our local area is we have two mental health support groups every week, one on Tuesday evenings and one on Wednesday evenings. 
And then we also have twice a month a family support group. And all of these support groups are offered online. Wonderful. So making it really accessible to everyone in there, really in, in the time when, when they really do need that support. Uh-huh. Tell me about, you know, because I'd like to switch gears now, as I believe sure. that we're discussing both healthy conflict management, right? And, and uh-huh. Emma Gottman Institute's work is especially timely in the COVID-19 environment. And, um, you know, when, when we've got couples, people navigating relationships who are really not used to spending uh, 24-7 together, right? There can be some challenges right. there. And, and what's exciting is there, there are couples who have met really at that, at that point before quarantine measures had been taken place in, um, you know, a lot, in a lot of states who are actually, um, navigating really early on relationships together and they're in that close environment, uh, so early on. Mm-hmm. So let's start. Isn't that interesting? So let's start with conflict management training in general. And what can you share with our listeners some, some top tips for, for healthy conflict management in relationships? Well, I think the easiest way to address this, Jasmina, is to talk about what to avoid in these times, what to avoid in relationships. Um, And that's going to stem from things that I have learned from the Gottman Institute. And Dr. John Gottman refers to these things to avoid as the four horsemen. Um, Mm -hmm. So the four horsemen are criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. And so basically in teaching the um, the Gottman principles, you want to know as far as criticism is concerned, you want to know how to learn and learn how to use gentle startups. It's the way that you bring a conversation up. Um, as far as defensiveness to combat, combat that, you really want to learn how to take responsibility for your part of the issue. Um, and then as far as contempt is concerned, you want to, rather than being contemptuous, you want to be able to describe your own feelings and needs to your partner and not necessarily describe your partner. Um, and as far as stonewalling, meaning to someone who shuts down, that's usually an indication that that person is in the, either a fight or flight mode. And basically, they just need to take a little bit of a break and do some physiological self-soothing. So, you know, the four things to avoid would be the four horsemen, criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. Very, very helpful. Tell us, going back to criticism, can you give our listeners some examples of what would a gentle startup be? Tell us, tell us some examples of if they wanted to start. Go ahead. Yeah, that's, that, and that's, that's, it's, it's okay. That's a very good question. And basically... Um, with the criticism and using gentle startups, it's really how you begin a conversation. Um, a, a conflict conversation can be influenced with how that conversation starts tremendously. And so the key sentence is, right now, I feel, fill in the blank, about what, fill in the blank, and I need fill in the blank. And so 
you don't want to say to your spouse or your partner, you're so lazy. Instead, you Mm -hmm. want to try saying something like, I feel stressed out right now from doing most of the housework. Would you please take out the garbage tonight? And so it really just comes down to, if you think about it, using your manners. You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. we speak to strangers better than we do our partners. Absolutely. And and these days, right, we're not as much talking to strangers in that sense. And we really mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. speaking, talking a lot with our partners. So so using these skills as we as we do that talking can really um you know build a relationship even stronger as opposed to breaking it down, right? In Absolutely. in that sense. So that's tell and and actually also interestingly with you know, with the um with the guidance you gave in terms of that, that does actually have you taking responsibility, right? You're you're owning your Absolutely. own feelings, you're owning your reaction to it. So it all kind of built in together. Um, I'm looking over here in terms of and for stonewalling. Give some, you know, give some examples. What what does stonewalling look like? And I know, you know, tell tell us what stonewalling looks like. Sure. In terms sure. Of, yeah, go ahead. Right. Okay, so stonewalling involves shutting down completely and refusing mm-hmm. to offer any verbal or nonverbal responses to your partner's statements. It's, like I mentioned earlier, typically accompanied by flooding, which means that the person is in the fight or flight state. And they're experiencing some physiological symptoms, such as an increased heart rate. Um, This is where your body releases stress hormones into the bloodstream. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes Mm -hmm. people get sweaty. Their skin changes even. And and so the stonewaller's thoughts are, okay, how do I get out of this situation? okay, I can't have this conversation any longer. What do I need to do to get out of this conversation? And they just shut down. And the problem is it's very difficult to have a productive conflict management discussion when somebody is stonewalling. Um, So really the antidote is to take that break and to take 15, 20 minutes away from the conversation to do a self-soothing exercise uh, you know, listen to some music, go for a walk, meditate. The key here, though, is it's important for people when they're taking these breaks not to even think about the conversation or the argument or the conflict because you don't want to work yourself up again. The point of taking these breaks is to let your body and your mind calm down, not to focus on the, the topic and come up with your rebuttal. Very, very helpful. And it's so interesting because as you've mentioned with the gentle startups, um, you know, starting with yourself as opposed to saying you, you do this, you do this, doesn't you actually send someone into, into kind of, uh, the flea mode, fighter flea mode, right? Hearing you right. almost, it feels like a personal attack, right? So it all really, um, feeds in together. And then would, wouldn't mindfulness and mindfulness really plays into this in this sense, right? Because in terms of, of if you are in the moment, you're identifying, you're able to more be, create that space for yourself where you can respond as opposed to just react, right? Out of, 
Exactly. So it all really, okay, it all really feeds into itself. So tell me in terms of this, I know that you enjoy leading classes in the seven principles for making marriage work. Tell us, tell us more about that. What are those seven principles and how do those, how do those relate to that? Let's start with what are the seven principles? Okay. Well, how much time do you have is my next question before we jump into what everything is. you know, I know you try to keep your shows limited on time, Josephina, um, but as far as going through each one, would you like just a brief description or? Yeah, let's do a brief description. Let's go with a brief description and then we'll. Okay. Okay. So as far as the seven principles are concerned, the first one is what Dr. Gottman refers to as love math. And we build our love maps with our partner by asking questions. This is kind of like the get-to-know-you part of the relationship. And so it's not only get-to-know-you, but it's, it's, it's learning to ask open-ended questions. And if you think mm-hmm. about it, um, really... It's like a map, if you will, that's very detailed, that has every little cul-de-sac in it. And basically, you know all of those roads when you have good love maps. It's not a generic map that just has the interstates and the highways. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And so what is interesting about that is, that is built over time. Like you said, if it's just the runways that, you know, you could get to, you know, at surface level, shorter. But the getting actually the love map, it sounds like that would come out of greater trust, greater intimacy that takes time mm-hmm. to develop. Um, yeah. Okay. Love map. It really what does. About, so it's, it's love yeah. maps and then um you know making sure that you do ask those open-ended questions that's so very important you know it's not just simple yes or no questions it's really you know digging in and asking the questions that is going to allow you to have the conversations give us an example of one of those open-ended conversations i mean open-ended questions i mean of course there's it's infinite, I'm sure, but you know, it's funny you ask about that. And rather than give you an example, Josephina, I'm going to give you something that even better. You can uh-huh. actually okay. go to the app store. And if you look in your okay. app store, you want to look for mm-hmm. the Gottman card deck app. And okay. if you download the, Go- the Gottman Card Deck app, you're going to get several things. You're going to get the, the questions that will help you to build love maps. You're going to get a whole bunch of uh-huh. open-ended question prompts that will help you to okay. have these conversations. Um, and then there's a, there's a bunch of stuff in the, Go- the Gottman Card Deck app. I highly recommend it. Highly, okay, highly wonderful. It. Yeah, yeah. Great um, resource. Yeah, yeah. So that's for principle number one is the card deck. Okay. Um, But moving into principle number two, this is where we try to nurture your fondness and admiration. 
Um, so basically okay. what principle number two is all about, excuse me, is, um, you know, you really, w- with fondness and admiration, you have a choice. You can choose to focus on the annoying and irritating qualities of your partner, or you can choose to focus on their positive qualities. And so really principle number two teaches couples to focus on the positive qualities of their partner and to really look for the good. Wonderful. And that really rolls into commitment, right? Because if we if we make a commitment to someone, then the most self and, you know, the most relationship and self-caring thing to do is to focus, right? It's just a, a much happier way to be if you've committed to somebody uh-huh. to actually focus on the positive. So that is, that is wonderful. What, what about three? Number three is one of my favorites when I'm teaching this to couples. Principle number three mm-hmm. is to tour, turn towards each other instead of away. And mm-hmm. what we mean by this is, you know, all of the time we're making what Dr. Gottman refers to as bids for connection. And mm-hmm. when you, your partner makes a bid for connection, you have a choice. You can turn towards that bid with interest and acceptance, or you can turn away from that bid. Oh, I don't have time to talk to you about this right now. You know, I'm busy. Don't you see I'm busy? And that's kind of like yeah. turning away from it. Um, or you can basically just ignore it, and that's another form of turning away from it. So this is one of the ones that I really enjoy teaching couples, which is, you know, how to recognize these bids for connection and actually turn towards them. Because what it does is it helps the, the couple to build up their emotional bank account. And that's so very important because we need to remember to always make deposits in our emotional bank accounts, not just withdrawals. Wonderful. I love that. Tell tell us about four. Principle number four is to let your partner influence you. And accepting influence Mm -hmm. can be a difficult one for some people. And so basically, it's just learning to yield, learning that influence can be accepted, when influences should be accepted, and basically working together and learning compromise. You know, that ego can get in the way, right, of, of that oh, influence. Yes. <laughs> so that, that is absolutely, and, um, and you know, I guess from that, just like reminding yourself, you did choose this person, right? So it's mm-hmm. well to speak well, right? To to be influenced by the person that you that you chose. So, and we hear often, right, in our matchmaking, that we want to grow together. We want someone to help us grow. Right. So that totally feeds in. Um, tell us about five. Okay, um, but basically. When we move forward from here, principle number five is to solve your solvable problems. And the key here is to understand that not all problems are solvable. In fact, I want to say Mm -hmm. the number that Dr. Gottman puts out there is that 67% of all marital problems are perpetual. 
And so you want to look at what your solvable problems are and then get busy solving them. And so that involves learning how to make and receive repair attempts, um, you know, learning mm -hmm. how to soothe yourself and each other. Uh, there's a lot of compromise that's involved with this. And so, you know, when you're dealing with your solvable problems, it's really important that you tackle them together as a team. And you mentioned something about which repair attempt. So tell mm -hmm. us about that. Repair attempt, that would, would one example of a repair attempt would be, you know, when a partner is actually turning towards the other, I'd imagine. Yeah. And t tell yeah. us more about a repair attempt in terms, yeah. Well, repair attempts have, you know, there's a variety of different ways, but I'm going to tell you about the one mm -hmm. that's used most frequently in my marriage, and that's humor. Okay. That's mm -hmm. humor. Mm -hmm. Humor can be used as a repair yeah. attempt. You know, we can be in a conflict discussion, and he can make a silly face or say something funny, and it's my choice. I can accept that as a repair mm -hmm. attempt. And, and allow myself to embrace that humor, or I can choose to let it frustrate me and make the situation worse. So, you know, it's really learning to recognize what the repair attempts are in your relationship. And, you know, like I said, for mine, we use humor a lot, and it really does work. You know, it, it's, it can be reaching out to hold somebody's hand. Repair attempts, there's so many varieties and ways to um, but it's just, it's a great, great thing to know about and to be able to recognize within your relationship. Yeah, and, and they really are, like you said, they're, they're unique to the couple, right? You develop it over time and you learn to identify, and they're, absolutely. Show me, um, and, and then so solving your solvable problems, which, you know, it, as I'm, you know, are a minority in that sense. Only about, you know, a third, right, of the problems right, in that right. sense would be solvable. Right. So tell us about, um, so tell us about six and seven. I imagine they deal in some sense with the unresolvable Absolutely. problems. Tell us, Absolutely. Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Principle number six is referred to as overcoming gridlock. And basically, gridlock is the term that the Gottmans use uh, for problems that are not resolvable, problems where you're still mm -hmm. butting heads. And, you know, they do a lot of teaching behind gridlock problems to look under the iceberg and basically try to figure out what is underneath that problem and why it's not solvable because it usually stems from previous experiences um, and basically mm -hmm. previous needs, the way you were brought up. So it's really looking deeper at the problem and going underneath it and learning that, you know, you don't necessarily have to come to a conclusion and agree about this problem. But what you do need to do is to try and understand it, you know. And so it's really, it's not about solving the gridlocked problem. It's about coming to an understanding and having those parties understand that there's probably something more to that gridlocked problem. And then, of course, that leads right into 
principle number seven, which is to create shared meaning. Um, you know, and when we say creating shared meaning, we're talking about different rituals of connection and learning to support each other's roles within the relationship, having some shared goals together as a couple, being able to have shared value systems, um, and really using this to create your own roles and rituals and celebrations together as a couple. You know, each couple is unique, but you're going to carry certain things into your relationship from your past. And what are your rituals going to be together? What is your shared meaning going to be together? Beautiful. And actually, with this extra time that many, you know, people that are fortunate, right, to be in those relationships have, this is, you know, conducive in that sense to actually creating, right? Creating those, mm-hmm. that shared meaning. Having some people have a bit more time and a bit more, right? Opportunity for that reflection. Mm-hmm. So going back to what you said initially in terms of the thriving, you know, using some of this, some of this time to focus on that, right? With, could really be, be absolutely helpful. And um, wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Denise, for sharing your insights with us. They've been really fascinating. Would you Would you like to share with our listeners how they can um, how they can find out more about your upcoming masterclass? Sure. Very easy. Just simply go to my website, which is www dot Denise Levy BSW and that's for bachelors in social work dot com. Wonderful. And for our listeners, in case you joined us late, we'd like to share this show with people in your life. I'd like to remind you that today's show will be archived and available as a podcast on Intersections Matches website, which is intersectionsmatch.com. And our team may be reached at info at intersectionsmatch.com in case you have any questions and topics you'd like discussed in future shows. So be well, everyone, and thank you again, Denise. Oh, thank you, Justina. It's always a pleasure being a guest on your show. Try as I may, I could never.